Okay, let's get started tonight. Y'all ready? I'm excited. Tonight we're going to speak on something called God weaves your life together for good. We're going to start with Psalm 139, 13. And I want you to think about it. It's that famous verse where God actually started out weaving you from the very beginning. Now, I'm going to show you something, and you're going to be happy he finishes what he starts. But anyway, in Psalm 139, 13, it tells you that God, he actually took you and he weaved you together. You're fearfully and you're wonderfully, (laughs) wonderfully (laughs) made. (laughs) And he does it in secret, and he does it with skill. Now, I want you to take a look at this. Which one? Just start with the pretty one. Have you ever watched the birth of a baby? Oh, when they come out, you're like, wow, it's a miracle. You know, some of my college kids are like, I want you there when I give birth. And that goes okay till I faint. I mean, it's just, it's that moment of where they're screaming and the baby comes out and it's just beautiful. Ten fingers, ten toes. And so I wanted you to think, have you ever thought about how a baby is woven? You know, like, have you ever studied how the face is developed? Y'all, you're going to see this next picture. Look at this. The face starts out as a pair of tissue mounds. Two pieces of tissue. Yeah. And it forms from the outside in. And the sides go inward towards the middle. At 22 days, already the face has started forming. 22 days and the faces are reforming. 28 days, and guess what comes first? Think of my mom, you can guess. Mouth first. (laughs) Lower jaw. (laughs) Ready for the chocolate, okay. And then mouth is first, and then eyes come next. And this is kind of scary, but the ears come in, and they come in below the mouth and the eyes. It keeps moving. And it keeps changing. It looks like a goldfish, they said at first. I don't see that looking like a goldfish. And it keeps moving to the upper lip. You know this little thing here? It's a witness of how God brings the face together. And as it forms, it moves inward like that. But by the first trimester, your face was fully formed. That is why I would suggest that you should be praying in that first trimester. I mean, there's so many things that are taking place. Let's go back to the beauty picture again. So when a baby comes out healthy, it's a miracle. Now, we're not supposed to be looking at this. Remember, he said he does it in secret. So these people aren't supposed to be in there looking around because that's what it looks like in the very beginning. And you know, you think about it, a baby breathes water in the water at first. You know, it's in that fluid. It actually begins with a hole in his heart. You know, you hear of a baby, well, they have a hole in their heart. But it's actually where the oxygen gets into the blood. And right when the baby's born, a flap comes down and closes the hole. Wow. Then, in most babies, the hole closes before birth as the natural flap seals shut. But in some cases, the sealing takes place within the first couple of months. Don't you think that there's some mystery here? I mean, we could go on and on about the skill how God does this in secret, how he formed you. And in Jeremiah 1.5, it tells the same thing. He said, before, he said, I knit you in the womb. Before this, I knew you. So you're known by God. You're knit by God. You're woven by God. He knew you 
And he knew you would be here tonight, right now, listening. So what I was going to say, why let God start knitting your life and weaving your life and then let him quit? Why just let God have that beginning purpose with your life and not let God completely weave your life for good? Now, I'm going to give you a verse that I'm going to tell you. This is our theme verse tonight. If this was not in the Bible, I don't think I could make it. This is the verse that gets me through all my problems. But in Genesis 50, verse 20, is a great verse. And I'm going to tell you, if it's not in your prayer life, you need to incorporate this verse in. This is a verse that will change your life. This is a verse that you can count on, that you can build your life on. In Genesis 50, verse 20, the speaker is saying, As you meant it for evil against me, God meant it for good. In order to bring about that many people should be kept alive today. Now let me read it in another translation. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people's lives. You know, I'm looking at this verse and saying sometimes people just mean to do you in. They just mean to harm you. They just mean to wreck your life. There is sometimes something coming against your life that is just flat evil trying to wreck your life. Have you ever felt something like you just felt something was evil? Either in a person or just in situations or or something where you just thought, my goodness, it's just evil coming against my life. Well, this is what this verse is referring to. And in the Hebrew, if you will take the word, its literal meaning for meant that God means it for good, is actually the word he weaves it for good. That's one of the meanings of the word. It's a a very interesting word. And it makes me reflect back to Psalm 139. That as he was weaving you in the womb, he is weaving your life. Now, I want you to think about it. At birth, he began this process. And I'm going to tell you, you were intended for good. You were not intended for evil. There are outside forces on your life that try to wreck like its intention is to make your life miserable. Let's say it this way. What Satan meant for evil, God weaves for good in your life. So God weaves from your birth and he's weaving you together for a purpose. Now, I don't know if you've heard of my favorite person, but growing up I had a hero. Well, yeah, quit thinking it's you. But anyway, when I grew up, I had read this lady's account named Corey Tim Boone. And I liked this lady because she was honorary and she pulled a lot of pranks. And I thought, good, there's hope for me because I don't think I'm going to grow into a saint. And so when I read this lady's story, I thought, okay, this is what I want to be like. Now, she's famous in the movie Hiding Place. And what I liked about her is she got her college group and she got them all together, and throughout World War II, they all were hiding Jews. I mean, that'd be like all of us get a job, and we have to steal rationing cards, we've got to steal babies, we've got to put them together, we've got to ride on bicycles, put them different places. And she went through the whole war preserving babies. But right at the end, one of her neighbors turned her in, and she got put into a concentration camp. And she said something that'll straighten out your priorities, is when the death chamber is a hundred yards from where you are because the ashes just come down. And she said, if you live within a hundred yards of a death chamber, 
it changes what you believe is important in life. You know, we sat in a theater in, in Jerusalem. I mean, I can't not have this memory, but we were with Jews whose parents had been through the Holocaust. And there's this scene where all the ashes just start coming down. And they reenacted it within the theater. And you could just hear the sobbing of the people. Like they were trying to hold it in. And you just hear them. You can't imagine taking your mother, your father, your aunts, your babies, and putting them in a gas chamber and burning them alive. So that's what Cory Tim Boone lived within. Actually, she was supposed to be tortured and burned herself. But they reversed the numbers of her age. And when they reversed her numbers of the typing, then they released her to freedom. So Cory Tim Boone went about all over the globe speaking and traveling. But this is the illustration she gave. She held this up as she was speaking, and she said, this is what your life looks like. And you see all the strings and the knots, and you're like, what is this? Well, this looks like a kid would do it. And she said, this is what life looks like. It's messy, and these are the parts of your life. But she said, when God gets a hold of you, it looks like this. And so she had a crown that she had ditched. And she said, you will be given the crown of life, and all of a sudden, all the knots, and all the mess-ups, and all the strings, and all the crazy parts of your life, on the flip side, when you turn it over, you see purpose. The same with your life. That God takes and he weaves all the messy parts of your life. If you'll turn it over to the Lord, and he starts weaving it to have purpose in your life. Now, that's the illustration I always think of when God weaves your life together for good. Now, let's think of men. Who had to live this verse? You know, there's never a good verse in the Bible without having to live it. Who spoke this thing? Who's talking here, and what are they referring to? Well, this guy is one of the, probably one of the best men in the Bible. I mean, you just can find very little wrong with this guy. But boy, did he have a heck of a start. So the context of this verse is Joseph actually speaking to his 12 brothers at a later part in his life. He's saying to his brothers, he said, you meant to harm me, but God used it for good. So think about how his brothers did him. Now, I don't know if you had brothers like, but this guy had some brothers. Like they decided we hate you so bad, they dug a hole and they put Joseph down in it and they decided we're going to kill him. One of them said, why kill him when you can sell him? I mean, we might as well like. So they took him out of the hole and they sold him to some slave traders. Well, they had to tell his dad something happened. So they took his coat and they covered it in blood. And they said, gosh, we found your son. This is what he looks like. And so all those years they lived with that on their conscience. Can you imagine what it'd be like if you did something like that? But this is exactly what happened here. Is that Joseph had had a really rough start. (laughs) And then after he was sold to slave traders, he ended up being sold to a a guy who said, okay, I'll make a servant out of him. And so he became a servant in the household of an Egyptian. At this point, things began to go from bad to worse because there was a lady who fell in love with him in the house, and it happened to be the owner's wife. And she tried to seduce the guy, and Joseph stood against it. Now, so this category of where this verse came from 
is the topic of when other people mess up your life. That's the context of the verse. That other people will mess up your life. And I'm going to put a clause in here. Even it could be your family. There can be some rough starts. I hope it's not all of them. Joseph had 12 members of his family. And basically Joseph was saying this, they hated me without cause. Like what did I do to them that could mess my life up this bad? And so the brothers actually meant it for evil that they cared so little about this guy, so little about their brother that they hoped he was dead. And so at this point, Joseph finds himself in a lot of trouble when the guy comes home and his wife is holding Joseph's clothes and says, you wouldn't believe what he did to me today. Of course, Joseph ran off leaving his clothes in her hands when she grabbed him. So it's a great story. But at that point, I want you to see this verse. And it says, And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. He was successful. And it says, As he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Isn't that interesting? God saw him prosperous when he was a slave. God saw him successful in the midst of being, where all he was doing was doing whatever this guy told him to do. You know, God's word makes mention that sometimes he can look down at your life right now and say, you got a, a prosperous life. He sees within us the success. He sees what kind of heart and what kind of spirit we have. Now, his own brothers didn't see that in him, and they sold him into slavery. They told his daddy was dead. And think about this verse. As God's saying it about him, he's with this rich Egyptian master who stood with him with all this guy was so filthy rich. He had all this extravagance, all this abundant wealth. Think about his household. It had every fine thing in it that Egypt had. But the Bible forever records Joseph was prosperous. So it starts out with God declaring your life successful and prosperous. No matter where you are in life. No matter where you are in your life, God declares you prosperous. Right now, in your life, that's what he's speaking to you. You're prosperous. You're successful. He has his hand on you. If you've given your life to the Lord, it does something in the supernatural. And it starts this chain or this progression of how your life's going to turn out and be worked for good. So I don't care how bad it is. I'm telling you, you're on a train bound for the goodness of God. And that's why I invite you to surrender to the Lord. You do not want that thing where the enemy tries to destroy your life. So Joseph, at this point in his life, he served other people. He ministered wholeheartedly to their needs as a slave. And then guess what? He becomes a prisoner. And then in the prison, you realize what he went through with all the prisoners. And then he got two guys and he gave them an interpretation of a dream they had. And they said, we'll go tell the king and get you out of here. They forgot for two years. <laughs> Can you imagine that you give somebody an interpretation, you bless their life with an understanding about their life, and guess what happens? They forget you. You know, Joseph could have at some point, he could have gotten weary. He could have gotten impatient. If Joseph had gotten mad, no weaving would take place in his life. If Joseph had gotten bitter at God, it would have been a different ending to the story. The thing that you have to keep clean 
is your heart. You can't let bitterness in. Impatience. You can't let it in there where you get weary. If Joseph had quit his gift of prophesying, it would have been the end. He would have never gotten out. Because he actually spoke the word of God. He prophesied till he got out of there. You know, if Joseph had said, man, I'm so angry with my brothers. They sold me as a slave. They put blood on my clothing. You know, I've had to work for Potiphar all these years as a slave. And that sorry woman double-crossed me. She told everyone that I raped her. Now I'm in prison. She wrecked my reputation. Those two guys forgot me. Man, I'm not only mad at my brothers, I'm mad at God. You see the context of the verse? Do you know what you just stopped? If you do that, you're stopping the weaving for good in your life. You've shut it down. You've shut down God's ability to show you mercy. God's ability to get very much involved in your life. Now, at this moment, the brothers have come to him. And this is a powerful scene right here. Because they're scared he's going to settle the score with them as soon as their dad dies. You know, he has them trapped because they're in a famine and they have no food. They're thinking, we're trapped kind of like we trapped him. You know, his torn robe with the blood on it has now become the prime minister's robe. He's in a little bit different position. Now, he's the one that's powerful, and they're the ones that are shaking, and they're the ones that are scared. And it's at this moment that something takes place that Joseph says to them when they express their doubts, when they express what they knew they deserved, he says these words to them. You meant it for me for evil, but God meant it for good so that I could save everybody from starvation. So if you have this understanding about your life, there is no one on earth that can hold you down. People cannot take away from you something they didn't give you. Someone once said, the world can't take your peace because the world didn't give you your peace. So at this point, you see that a life that looked like it was going to turn out totally bad is the place where we got this verse. Now, I've never in my life seen a life without pain in it. But don't ever get bitter and give God nothing to weave with. I challenge you at this moment in your life, if you have not turned your life over to the Lord, tell the Lord, I want you to start weaving in my life. I want you to start working in my life. You know, I'm going to tell you something that many people won't tell you. They're going to act like this is going to be automatic in your life, that your life's going to turn out good. But I'm going to tell you the reality is it won't. As much as I've watched people and I've watched their lives, the reality is people's lives do not turn out good on their own. God doesn't just happen in our life. God isn't allowed to weave in your life. Sometimes bad things happen to a Christian and absolutely no good comes out of a Christian's life. I'm not talking about somebody that's not living for God. I'm saying that reality is many times good does not come into the life of somebody that is a Christian. So what can we do about it? There are a lot of promises in your Bible that will not come about automatically. There are steps that you have to take. So let me tell you what to do. Because I don't want you to hear a Bible study on God weaving your life for good and it doesn't happen to you. Now remember, I told you, I didn't plan on being a saint. 
So, you know, I've never been accused of that, and I don't think that'll ever happen. Amen. I thank you for that amen in the back. So it's not based on that. Then what is it based on? What is it based on that you have this thing on you that nobody can put you down, nobody can wreck your life, nobody can destroy you? What is it? If you start turning your life over to God, if you start turning your situations over to God, if you start crying out to God, if you start believing God and putting your faith on things, literally it gives God the ability to get involved and start weaving in your life. I have seen people come in and their life is wrecked. It's disastrous. It's like, my gosh, their family's in a mess. And literally, they'll start doing this principle and God will start changing it. How do I know? Because it happened in my family. My mom sits back there and our life started out by my mom for eight years. She was about 21 when this happened, 22. And something, my mom entered into depression. She entered into fear. And they put, this is my mom. They put her, they were going to, into a psychiatrist's care. They begin giving her shock treatments. They begin giving her medication. She would sit and start pulling her hair out. She was catatonic. I mean, this is where my life started for eight years. This was the beginning. Thank the Lord my dad didn't leave her. But all of a sudden, my mom goes to the clothesline. Now, she had accepted Jesus when she was little. But she says, God... If there is a God, will you find me and bring me back to you? And the power of the Lord hit her life. The Holy Spirit. My dad prayed over my mom. This was First Baptist Church. He was a deacon. And he prayed over my mom. And my mom was gloriously free. In two hours, what the doctors couldn't do, what no one could do. My dad had never fasted in his life. He, didn't, you know, he was like, you're kidding, three days of fasting? And when he began to pray, that fear and that depression and that torment left my mother's mind. The next step was they were going to put her in a mental institution. Do I know this story? I've lived it. I'm telling you, at 10 years of age, I saw my mom come into being back to a mom. It was miraculous. But the big if of this happening is that you've got to give your situation to God, whatever it is. You've got to turn it over to God, and no matter how long it takes, you ask me, how long is it going to take? You know what I'm going to tell you? Do it till you win. Do it till it turns around. Don't quit doing it. Joseph didn't quit. If you keep giving it to God, that perseverance, like you're saying, if you don't give up, God will turn your life around. He will weave it for good. Y'all, this is incredible. That's what I'm telling you. Person after person I've seen come in with their life all knurled up in a mess. They look like a, a fishing reel where the line went all crazy in it. Their life looked like you could never straighten it out. And when they got a hold of this in God, it literally changed their life. Let me tell you a story of another life that kind of reminds me of Joseph. But you might not know this, but I don't know if you've heard this or not, but have you heard of St. Patrick? Right here, we have St. Patrick here on the front row. Well, when St. Patrick was 16 years of age, 
he was kidnapped by Irish pirates. And he was taken from his homeland in England to Ireland where he was sold into slavery for six years. He worked in the fields as a shepherd under terribly harsh conditions until God miraculously provided a way of escape and he got out of there. As difficult as that time must have been, it was during those lonely years of enslavement while he faced hunger, freezing temperatures, pain that he met with God and he found a special closeness in the presence of God through prayer and spending time in his word. After months back at home recuperating and seeking direction for his future plans, all of a sudden Patrick got angry. And he started going, why did these six years get stolen out of my life? I'll never get them back. What a waste. From age 16 to 22, all those years are gone. I just lost those years. You want to know the real story? Back in England, he started praying, and he felt the urge to go back to Ireland. Isn't that funny? He didn't get bitter. He didn't start saying, God, why'd you do this? All of a sudden, this desire was to go back to where he had come from. He knew that God had brought him there for a purpose, and he was burdened to share Christ with this pagan nation. Never before did they know of God except to serve idols and unclean things. But now they became a people in the Lord, and they're called the children of the Lord. And guess what he evangelized them with? The shamrock. <laughs> he used the three-leaf clover to show them the trinity. He was like, this is who you worship, the Lord. It was shared about Christ. And it says, revival broke out among this pagan people. Lives were changed, and many came to know Christ as Lord and Savior. History tells us thousands were saved because of Patrick. He was an apostle to Ireland. God took his life after the pirates had stolen. He didn't get bitter, and God turned the very thing that was meant for evil against him and weaved it for good. Your life story is meant to work out for good. I want you to receive that inside of you, that your life story is meant to turn out for good. It's supposed to have a good ending on it. I like movies that have a good ending. I don't like them if they end up bad. I want the couple to find each other. I like a good ending. What happens? What happens when we mess up our own life? It's not our family. It's not our brothers. But it's self-inflicted. You know, if you get this on you, if you get this in you, that God can even work this out. I'm going to give you an unusual story. Genesis 22 through 6. Abraham followed God out of his pagan relatives. And in fact, he actually kind of even messed up this guy's life. He got scared that his wife was so beautiful they were going to knock him off to get her. So he said, go ahead and take her as long as I'm safe. And there is still such a blessing on Abraham that there is such a blessing that literally that Abimelech has to get prayed for by Abraham. Y'all, I'm telling you, even if you're honoring, God can still use you. Even if you don't have it all together, that makes all of y'all safe, especially back in the... <laughs> you can still have the blessing on you. People teach religion. They make it be so much about this, this crazy way of living your life. You know what you've got to do? you just got to love God. 
And if you fold down, I would advise you, you can do it different if you want to, but if you fold down, don't go back and start from where you began. Start from right where you fell down. I gotta tell y'all a terrible story. I live right here on Center Street. And so one day I had slick shoes on, I was running to the post office, and y'all, I slipped and I fell. And there was four lanes of traffic and they had a traffic light then. And I'm laying flat on my face, laughing so hard I can hardly stand it. But I thought, I'm not gonna stand up because then no one will know who I am. And I thought I'm gonna just lay here and try to figure out what to do. Now there's all these people in the traffic, but I got to thinking about it. The first cars know there's a human body laying there, but it's the um, teenager behind that'll go and go around that'll go bump. <laughs> and so I thought, oh my lens. So I thought, what do I do? And the best thing to do is just jump up and laugh. I mean, you're just thinking, oh my goodness. So I just jumped up and I laughed. You know, the worst thing I could have done is just keep laying there. And that's what the devil tries to talk you into doing. When you fall down, he tries to tell you, just lay there. That was the most stupid ideal I could have. So, y'all, when you backslide, don't just lay there. Come see me. <laughs> but finally, the great thought hit me, get up, get up. I mean, I'm thinking to be a, a greasy spot in the road if I don't keep this. The blessing's going to be bump. And so anyway, but the point I made was when I stood up, notice what I did. I got up from where I was and I took off running. I didn't go back to the front door of my house and do it again. So many people think when they fall down, they got to start all over again. No, start from where you were. <laughs> Jump to your feet. <laughs> and that's what the difference is, that God wants your life to have his blessing on it. God wants to put his goodness. Remember when he made you? He looked, he said, behold. He said, it is good what I made. I mean, he looked at it and he was pleased with what he made. Allow the goodness of God to come in you. Another thing that can happen is in 2 Corinthians 1.4 is that you comfort people with the same comfort that you've had. Whatever you've been through in life, you can use it to help other people. You know, some of you, you were a real stinker before you were saved. Uh-huh. Because you know what they'll end up being? A youth pastor. Well, I mean, they're the ones, like, they've done everything. I'm not speaking to any of you or looking at you, but I'm just saying that those testimonies of some of these youth pastors, you're like, oh, my lens. But anyway, let me tell you something. Whatever's in your past, it'll make a great testimony. I mean, God will use it. The worst thing that has ever happened to you will become the best testimony. You're just letting the devil defeat you. You're letting it think, I messed up my life. It's bad enough when someone else messes up your life, but to mess up your own life. I'm going to tell you, I want you to take the worst thing that's happened to you and tell yourself, I'm going to comfort someone with what I've been through. I'm going to use it. The devil will take it. He'll use it like a club and he'll beat you. God weaves your bad testimony into something good. He makes something good out of it. Life is weaved. Now, there's a companion verse to this. You know what the companion verse is? Now, this gives you a little steering power. If you messed up your life, then I'm going to give you a verse to help you fix your life. And it's Romans 8, 26, and 28. 
This gives you the ability to make your life go in the direction that it should. But what's interesting about this one, it has a little bit of prevention to it. The other one's what you do when something's already happened. So let's go back to Corey Tim Boom and let's get an example from her. In this one, your good looks, your cute personality, do you have a cute personality? Just fills the whole place up, your honoriness, your past testimony, your experiences, the worst pain in your life. I want you to think for a minute. This says that God takes and works together for good what's happened in your life. Let me give you an example of this. This is Corey Tim Boom. Have you ever thought about the ingredients that you put into a recipe and you put them in one at a time? Let's take the ingredients of a chocolate cake. Have you ever tasted the flour? Like if I gave you a tablespoon of flour when you came in here and said, here, eat this. And then next I go, okay, here's a, here's a tablespoon of oil. Take this. And then how about if I cracked an egg and said, now, now drink this. Um, <laughs> you know, the worst one of all, you remember the day when your mom went in the room so you decided to try the cocoa? Because it just smells so good. You're just like, oh, this is what makes it good. Cocoa tastes terrible. I mean, it's bitter, so you put a big spoonful of cocoa in your mouth. But do you know what happens? When you mix these things together, what do you have? Chocolate cake. You think about, you know, when the husband has to cook, and Mama goes, what did you cook the kids for breakfast? And he goes, oh, we had bread and eggs. Actually, chocolate cake. <laughs> it's the same ingredients. You know, that's a lot like what God does in our life. If you take the eggs by themselves, or if you take the cocoa by itself, or the flour or the oil, man, it's disgusting. It's awful tasting. But God is the great mixer. And he'll mix it together because all things work together for good. It's a mixed case. It makes a cake. With God, all things work together. It's God weaving in your life. Now, I'm going to give you, this is how you steer it. It tells you in verse 26, this doesn't just happen by itself. It says, as you intercede in the Spirit, as you pray, it causes things to start working together for good. So as you begin praying in the Spirit, that means if something bad is fixing to come on your life, start getting your spirit man praying. Start getting it going. Start interceding, and you'll feel it turn and miss you. You can feel a situation coming at you right before you have a test. I know you don't believe it. I'm going to deny I said this, but sometimes I got a little busy and I didn't study for my test, and I'd do heavy interceding in the Spirit. I'd get in there. I'd make an A on my test. I'd just ask the Lord. <laughs> y'all, it was so bad, y'all, that I did this in the section in high school. I just decided my dad was you know, teaching me, this is how you hear the Lord. So you pray till you get peace, and then you just listen to the Lord. So I was on this test. So there's one section I didn't know anything about was mechanics. And so I just prayed and asked the Lord on that section. Y'all, I scored so high, a Navy recruiter came to see me. It worked against me. I mean, that's God's sense of humor. I'm like, oh my goodness. I, he was like, you have to know these things. Because he said, the rest of your test, you know, you were... All right, but he said on this particular section, that's the section I didn't even ask my head what to do. I just prayed and heard what number, what letter to put down. Y'all, this is what this is talking about, interceding in the Spirit. 
praying before those tests. Put some prayer time into it. Y'all, crazy ways that God will use your life. That's how we found that missing girl after 11 or 12 days. Just praying. And then it says this, that you've got to love God. How could you not love Him? He's made of love. He's good. People don't see the goodness of Him. And that you're called according to His purpose. Y'all, you want God's purpose on your life. These are the weaving scriptures. This is what puts it together. See, Genesis 50:20 is weaving after the fact. Something already bad has gone wrong. Pray Genesis 50:20. Romans 8:28, it's preventative. It means you can pray in the spirit and you can turn it and cause it to work for good. That's a better deal. <laughs> to pray, it speeds it up. You know, someone asked me, I was in this house when I lived here, and they said, what verse do you stand on to do what you do? I was like, you mean take 30 kids into a country where all they come out alive? Or, you know, all these different problems I was having. They said, what's your secret? I said, Genesis 50, 20, Romans 8, 28. I said, literally, I think I would go crazy if I did not know that God could take this part of my life and touch it. This concept, I can't imagine. I'd go crazy without this concept. You know, I made a joke the other day. I couldn't even begin to delegate if I didn't believe in this verse (laughs) because kids can mess things up. I'll never... But I had this one kid on a team. His mother put a $2 million insurance policy on him to go with me to Israel. I told her for two million, it's getting tempted to go. I mean, I, and she got tickled. I framed that and put it in my office. I thought, two million dollars. Well, he's Jewish. And I knew one thing about the Jewish people, they're very good with their money. So I gave him the team money. And by the time you have that many kids on a team and you've got all the team money, he had $10,000 on him. He's on the bus with me talking. And all of a sudden he goes, I forgot the money. He had left it in the hotel we checked out of. I remember the day Christian left all the passports when in Kosovo he had thrown their own backpack in there. And the Muslims had my backpack with all the passports which are worth the gold mine and all the money. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of these different things that have happened to me. I mean, you would go crazy if you didn't know that God worked these things for good. This delegation, things that have happened, It would be insanity without this verse. Y'all, it's when that buckle snaps, the adventure begins. Y'all, that is what your life is. You can't make it without this. If you want to live a crazy life, you've got to take some risk. If you're going to take some risk, then take some risk with the Lord. Have these scriptures down inside of you. You know, one lady explained this verse to me so well about Romans 8, 28. She was asking the Lord about it. She said, how do bad things work for good? And she was passing on the road all these guys out in prison uniforms with stripes on them, and they were actually building like a bridge. And they were actually working for good. And the Lord asked her, why are those men working for good? And she looked around, and she saw the sheriff with a gun on him. She said, because of the gun. And think about that. Normally these guys would hurt you. Steal, murder, right? They were wanted for all kinds of things. But notice that when they had a gun on them, they were cleaning up trash, (laughs) building a bridge, doing all this. And she said, the Lord said to her, that's what I do. I put a gun on your problems. 
like the Lord said to her, I can force the worst thing to work for your good. You know, others, you're weaving, something bad happens. You can return good for evil. If you want God to weave in your life, then weave in someone else's life. You've got to do something good to them instead of something evil. Make a lifestyle out of weaving good. I remember I came back to Brownwood. We'd been at grad school, and I was driving along, and we had bought a BMW. Now, never mind that the BMW cost $2,500, but we bought it from a professor. And the back seat was kind of missing and a few little things, but we started putting the BMW back together, and we got it looking really sharp. But I love that little thing, how it drove. Those German motors, they're crazy. Well, I was driving downtown, and sure enough, this lady goes, BAM, and she hits me. And I'm like, oh, no. And then I thought, no, the Lord's going to work this for good. I jump out of the car, and I said, hello. I'm back in Brownwood. I'd like to meet you. I know God arranged that we meet each other. And so Lisa Gray and I became friends. She ran into me. I said, let's get out of here. I gave her a Psalm 91 book and out I went. <laughs> I'm telling you, you could do stuff like that where God works it for good. It's like the guy who stole our car out of our garage. So the sheriff goes, they've already given that thing a paint job and it's across the border. But we started praying as a family and suddenly my dad said, let's forgive the man who stole the car. So we forgave him. The guy came and turned himself in for stealing the car. I baked him an apple pie. My dad led him to the Lord. He gave us back the car and he had a tank of gasoline put in it and, and a gas can in the back. He had been drunk and we had to go find where he left the car. He couldn't remember. Played a little detective. I'm telling you, you can weave good in somebody's life. You can take it and work for good. God is big enough to work with our mistakes. But it doesn't happen all automatically. You've got to put your faith on it. You've got to take what other people do or what Satan means for evil. And you've got to say, God, you're bigger than the worst thing that has happened in my life. And God, I give you permission. I'm asking you by faith to start working my life out for good. You know, God's will doesn't always happen. God's will does not always happen. People sometimes teach that, but think about that. It wasn't, God made paradise and Eve ate the fruit. Remember, God says, I don't want you to have a king, and they got Saul. Remember, the first split took place in heaven. <laughs> When Satan did that, the perfect garden didn't stay there. Sometimes nature, sometimes life, sometimes a bad deal, a wrong decision. Some things have a diabolical bad root to them, y'all. And it's meant to wipe you out. It's meant to destroy you. Y'all, pray over yourself. Do not allow someone to do something evil to you. Pray in the morning. I'm telling you, don't go out of your room till you put your armor on. For 10 minutes, you pray, and you start putting that armor on you. Not all things are good. That's not what that verse said. It doesn't say all things are good which happen in your life. It says, but all things work for good. They're no more good than cocoa tastes good. All things are not good. Don't misread that verse. The origin of bad things, God didn't send it, but he'll weave it. I remember when Haley told me it was hard being raised with divorced parents. 
She said God didn't give the pain, but he doesn't waste it either. And the tears you cried and the pain you've spent, God didn't give you that pain, but he won't waste it on your life. So don't get theologically off and think that God did the origin of evil. It tells you in Matthew 12, 25 through 26. Some people think, well, it's like God uses the devil. But it's like the mafia hitman ideal. Let's say that I wanted to knock somebody off. So I have too many morals to knock somebody off or I just don't want to go to jail, so I hire somebody to. Now, when the police come because this person lays dead, am I going to be out of trouble? If I hired, would any of y'all be hired for something like that? If I had? <laughs> well, you know what? That's what we think with God. He doesn't do it, but he lets the devil do it. See, this origin of God, don't go there. The origin is the mistake. It's something that somebody did or the devil. We don't know where it came from, but I'm telling you, when you turn it over to God, He can use it for good. We had a radio station, and someone decided to pour tar down our, our sewer pits. They cut the lights off on us. They sabotaged the radio, and then they called the FCC that we weren't on air that was dead time. And nobody knew how to run the radio station. One of the men who did it walked out the only man who knew how to run it. My dad was like, Malasuk, Malasuk. That's Hebrew for what to do, what to do. Guess what I thought of? On Saturday night, I had a jam program. On Saturday night, I let hard paying kids come in and do anything they wanted on the radio. And it was crazy. That's where we got Kevin and Rachel. That's where I found some of the best talent was our Saturday night. But in doing so, I'd hired a blind guy from Howard Payne. He was in the telecommunications department. And when the radio went off the air, I called him and I said, tell me what to do. And because he was blind, he could run the station from memory. And he told me step by step over the phone, he said, take 10 steps, go to this piece of equipment, five knobs over, Turn this one. I mean, somebody that had their eyesight couldn't have done what he did for me that night. He counted how many thousands of knobs there are on the board. He told me what to do. He turned them, and the people that had sabotaged the station could not believe that we went past the station break and we kept running. Because God will turn what the enemy means for evil and he uses it for good. Sometimes you tell me, well, it's too late. I've already had a bad childhood. Man, what am I going to do? I didn't have what I wanted in my past. The verse for you is Joel 2.25. It says that God will make up to you for the years that the locusts have eaten. You ever pulled a wool coat out of the closet and had holes in it? God's that favorite... He's that one that will come in and it says he will take the very thing that the canker worm has eaten, the very thing that tried to destroy you, the pain that's in your past, and God will make up to you for what the enemy has done. You know what? how God made it up with my mom and I? 
we take her testimony. We have it in a book. We'll give you one of her books. But we take that, and Mom and I go speak at conventions together, and everybody's like, wow, a mother and daughter. Because the very thing that the enemy meant to destroy us with is now our testimony. God weaves in your life what worms have eaten. God will take the pain of your past, and he will use it. What the enemy intends for evil, God will use it for good. The enemy intends your life to turn out bad. He wants a bad ending on your story. But John 10.10 says that Jesus comes to give you life and life more abundantly, but the enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy, and you have to push with the Lord. So in conclusion, I don't want you to ever forget this statement. We've served such a big God that he can take Satan's worst shot and weave it for good. You think of the worst thing that the devil has ever done to you. And God can take it and force it to be used for good. The worst thing that's ever happened, if you'll turn it over to God, God will put his finger on it and he will force it to work for your good. Amen.